Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, we are joined today by one of our good friends, frequent podcast guests. We are also guests on his podcast, Ralph Russo of the AP. That's how podcasts work now. Everybody has one. So we just kind of take turns, right? Appearing on each other's shows. Uh, My theory is that all of our conversations, every time we talk to each other at this point, is some form of a podcast. Correct. It's always there's a recorder running. Yeah. Yeah. The reason we want to have Ralph on is there's just a lot of stuff going on right now, you know, kind of revolving around the NCAA and the future of college sports and employment and NIL. And um, Ralph and I have a lot of conversations about this offline. In fact, we, we lately we've been trying to keep track of how many lawsuits are currently pending against the NCAA. We help each other out like, oh, you forgot this one. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive into it. First of all, we're recording this on a Wednesday and the day before Tuesday, um, we had a ruling, you know, last week, the, the attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia filed an antitrust suit against the NCAA wanting to lift all restrictions on using NIL as recruiting. Um, not coincidentally, Tennessee is accused of doing that, the Tennessee football program. And so they filed this lawsuit and they asked for a temporary restraining order that would have lifted this immediately. And the judge denied the temporary restraining order, said they had not shown, you know, why it would be irreparable harm if he didn't. Um, but there's some pretty strong hints in there that he thinks that they, that they, the plaintiffs would have a pretty strong chance of prevailing if this uh, goes down the road. I, guys, I just I don't I don't think this case is getting enough attention. Maybe it's a little bit too in the weeds, but, you know, you think of all the things that we grew up on and, you know, just kind of like accepting as a fundamental part of college sports. One of the number one things is you can't give money to a recruit. You can't give gifts. You can't give a car. Right. Like that's a big no, no. And now we have a case pending that would basically say. That's, you know, you're you know, this is yet another example of price fixing guys and restraint of trade. And, um, you know, you're, you're keeping recruits from, uh, you know, realizing their full value by telling these kids, you can make NIL, you just can't make it from these people. So what happened? I would start with you, Ralph. What happens now? If you're the NCA and you read that decision that basically says, I'm not ruling in your favor today. I'm not ruling against you today. But down the road, I probably will. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the quote or the the part of the the ruling that stood out to everyone. And it's a Clifton Corker, by the way, Judge Clifton Corker. Um, Considering the evidence currently before the court, plaintiffs are likely to succeed. Plaintiffs being the state of Tennessee and Virginia are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim under the Sherman Act. 
So as you said, we're not giving you this temporary restraining order because you don't meet the definition of why you need, you don't need that. We don't need to lift these rules immediately. Right. You haven't proven irreparable harm. Yeah, but we're pretty sure you're going to win this case. <laughs> it's basically, we're pretty sure you're, you're looking pretty good here. Yeah, you know, it, it's so hard, Stu, right now to sort of figure out what is the biggest threat, what, you know, you have all these trains sort of coming at the NCAA and all these maybe trains sort of moving away too, trying to all these different um, tracks where solutions are trying to be found. And you're kind of just wondering which one hits first, where do they cross? So it's just real difficult to figure out, like when you talk about this seems like a really big deal, but then there's a, a another antitrust suit where that could cost the NCAA maybe $9 billion or somewhere between four and $9 billion. And you're like, wow, that sounds like a really big deal. And then earlier in the week, you know, there's a a ruling about Dartmouth players forming a union and you're like, wow, that seems like a really big deal. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to kind of, it's hard to contextualize all of this because none of it also affects immediate. Right. Like we all woke up today and college sports is still there. Like nothing, nothing has collapsed. And even when this this Tennessee case finally is resolved, I mean, all these collectives have sort of found the sweet spot anyway to do the things that they're talking about. So, again, like like it's all important, but it's hard to get your arms around like what's going to be the thing where I wake up the next day and everything has changed. Well, how much of this becomes a semantics thing, right? So, Ralph, our our friend, Mr. Mandel over here, steps in a hornet's nest a few days ago when something related to Tennessee. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I came back to my computer, and the next thing I know, Stu's, Stu looks like the Jon Snow gif, where he's taking on <laughs> Vol Twitter or something. And one of the, you know, I was kind of looking at this, and one of the things that, that was getting that was getting lobbed at him was but they're not a spire's not a collective right a collective and i'm putting air quotes right Stu. that was kind of a big discussion well, they're they're taking after i mean you know you had first the chancellor and then the ad like we don't even know what they're actually accused of right there's been no notice of allegations they haven't actually been charged with anything there's just been details have seeped out New York Times actually first Tennessee reported about the private jets. Out, obviously, that this right. That this and guy so to really... their maybe to their PR credit, they've set the narrative right. They've gone out Absolutely ahead of time enough. and said we're being persecuted here, and the reason and the reason that you that you don't have a case is you're trying to apply rules after the fact. Like that's what you keep hearing, right? And I'm saying, and I, what I said in that tweet, I was pretty innocuous, right? Like I'm saying. Uh, paraphrasing Danny White here, like it's been true since not the beginning of time, but you know, for a long, long time that boosters can't be involved in recruiting. It, and, and Spire just kind of like right from the get go, like they were the, the, one of the very first ones to just go all in, not, you know, other schools were like, Ooh, I don't know about this. Like we better be careful. They're like, NILs allowed now we're going to, get some money and we're going to go recruit some kids. So, so for our listeners first, Stu, can you explain, because unless you're a Tennessee fan or, you know, or maybe a Tennessee beat writer or you may not know who Spire is. So yeah. who, 
and David Aben, our colleague at the Athletic, did a did like the first big story on this. Um, so explain for the people who maybe either didn't see the story or forgot. By the way, that's why this is so odd to me that they're doing this now because like all of this was in an, a story on the Athletic in February of 2022, and they're only now getting around to trying to get them for it. Okay, so Spire Sports does pre-exist NIL. They are a, both of the guys that run that are former sports agents. And it is a marketing you know, agency, marketing agency, right? They represent athletes, but they're not, they make no secret of the fact that they are all in on the Tennessee Vols. They both went to Tennessee. They are supporting Tennessee athletes. And so, as you may remember, as pe- I think most people know by now about Nico, uh, the quarterback, five-star quarterback who they, gave an $8 million NIL deal to. At the time I that I reported that story, we had a confidentiality agreement, but people figured out pretty quickly who it was, and now Spire has come out and publicly acknowledged it. Um, so to, to, to most people, like it's pretty obvious, they're the collective, right? Just like every other school has one of these collectives. They raise money that goes toward NIL deals for Tennessee athletes. But... They're also very smart. They have lawyers. (laughs) The lawyers word things very carefully. And their contention is that, no, 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 no. We didn't recruit Nico to to play for Tennessee. We recognized that he was a future superstar and we made him one of our marketing clients. And those private jets that that they're apparently in trouble for, we were just flying our client into town to to meet with, you know, prospective um, companies that want to make marketing deals with him. So... The NCA would say, and I apparently are saying, yeah, we're not buying that. <laughs> you guys are collective. You run something called the Volunteer Club. You're boosters. And boosters can't be involved in recruiting. And and Tennessee is going by this very narrow, you know, they keep using the term murky guidance. What they're referring to is, yes, when, when they, on July 1st, 2021, when they put out that interim policy, okay, NIL is in effect now. Here's the very like bare bones rules. It said you cannot use this for pay for pay for play. It did not specifically say anything about collectives because they hadn't you know existed yet. So it wasn't until the following spring, and I remember it was a hot topic at the Phoenix meetings the next spring, that they put out guidance to the schools just just to clarify, guys. We think you already know this, but just to clarify. Collectives are boosters and boosters can't be involved in recruiting. And Tennessee's saying, well, that was a rule. You made up that rule after we right. had already done this stuff. Right. I had to explain that to a couple of people that like that, that got, there's a difference between guidance and clarification and making up a rule. They didn't right. They, that. Right. They were just they were just clarifying that if, if you read our existing rules, by the way, yeah, these guys are collectives or these these collectives are boosters. Right. Right. So that's not making up a rule. That's guidance clarification, which happens all the time in big organizations when things change, right? When because in the NCAA's traditional definition of a booster, right, in their rule book, like it doesn't take much to be class- If you buy season tickets right. to a Tennessee right. game, it might not even be – I think if you buy tickets to a Tennessee game, you're classified as a booster. So it doesn't take much to, to be considered a Tennessee booster. So those guys who run it, who are Tennessee alums, they're boosters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my so we're getting deep in the weeds on Tennessee here. I would say this: can I can I cuss a little bit on the show here? I don't know. Like, do you guys have a no? 
I'm fine with it. I will say uh, our friend Bud Elliott once gave me a, an analogy that stuck with me. Um, mm -hmm. as, and, and Bud's kid may be driving now. But when he told me this, he was like, you know, about the profanity. Um, sometimes, okay. okay. Sometimes you may be driving your, your kid. Somebody may be driving. We've gotten a couple of those emails over the years. So why don't you just okay. go ahead and censor yourself? Okay, I'll censor myself. Well, I, think ten, five, I, I think ten. I think Tennessee is full of it. And you can understand, like, you could replace it for another word. I think yeah. Tennessee's a little full of it here. I also think they're going to win this case. Well, it's not their case, right? Which the state case? of Tennessee? There's so many cases in different courts. Like that's right, the, right. The, 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 the case that's sort of tethered to them, even though it's not directly with the university, the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia suing, you know, over this NIL stuff. Like, I think that that is going to be a winnable case. But I also think Tennessee is a little bit full of it. And they're just taking from a, a very... Uh, a winning playbook right now. There's a very winning strategy right now when it comes to dealing with the NCAA, and that is uh, push back, bully the NCAA, claim some victimhood, uh, claim that they're that you are that you are their victim, that they are they they don't they can't manage themselves, and they are unfairly targeting you, and then you bully them back, and it's a completely winning strategy. And I don't have a ton of sympathy for the NCAA because they've sort of put themselves in this era, in that place where it's a winning strategy. We saw that play out with the transfer rules, right? North Carolina played it to a T. Of course, I wanted Tez Walker to play. I have nothing against Tez Walker. Tez Walker is a great player and seemed like a good kid. So, of course, everybody wanted Tez Walker to play. But but the NCAA and college sports administrators and coaches were told for months and months and months, these multiple time transfers, you shouldn't take them because they're not going to be able to play. Right. Like um, if you think you're getting a waiver, you're probably not. So don't bank on it. And then a bunch of schools did it anyway. And then clutch their pearls and, and, and claim victimhood when their poor player wasn't allowed to play. So it's a, it's a good, it's a winning strategy right now. Uh, most of the NCAA's rules are probably not truly legal under antitrust laws. That's what the Supreme Court said a couple of years ago. So anywhere you can sue the NCAA, you're almost always going to win. And if you can just bully them and make yourself look like they are bullying you, it's always going to be a winning strategy within your fan base. Let me just throw one more thing at you, too, though. You know, there's been a little bit of a quote unquote crackdown on some of these NIL violations, right? We just saw one from Florida State last month. Florida State got hit with, um, it, well, really, it was Alex Atkins, the offensive coordinator, who got a little bit of a suspension, I think a two game, maybe three game three, suspension. Three game. Yeah. And it was an NIL kind of related to collective. The coach introduced, drove somebody to, you know, meet up with somebody who runs one of the collectives and they had a meeting and, you know, Florida state got dinged. And I understand Florida state has other fights. It's more interested in fighting right now in college sports, but Florida state just sort of shrugged. And in fact, in fact, that was a negotiated settlement. Florida mm -hmm. state decided, oh, yeah, we're not going to fight this. We, you know, we may have some issue with the rules and the, the murky ever changing situation with NIL, but we're just going to absorb this and move on because it's not really worth our time to fight it. We'll lose our offensive coordinator for a couple of games and we'll be fine. You know, Tennessee is is up in arms because they could fall under this repeat violators uh, categorization 
with the NCAA. And now all of a sudden, what might not have been a huge deal where they would have gotten slammed for this, they could endure some more severe sanctions, right? When you tie it to the Jeremy Pruitt, and now you're a repeat violator. Well, so again, like not everybody is, is throwing all a that tantrum. Came out. All that stuff had just come down last summer. It's not like it's far in the rear view mirror. Jeremy right. Pruitt tenure may seem like it was almost as far back as Derek Dooley, but the NCAA case is not that far back. That's why when, because the Spire stuff that David, you know, wrote the story, talked to those guys who were just like, weren't even hiding it. Like we're spending millions of dollars on recruits. This was, you know, I think right after Heupel's first season. And I remember thinking, gosh, these guys are being very brazen given that they just got, you know, they just committed all the these violations and sure enough, that's where we are. But I just think that they were very lawyered up and they, you know, I talked to somebody at another collective and said, hey, are you, is this Tennessee thing going to cause people to pull back? And said, absolutely not. We've been looking forward to this day so that somebody can file the lawsuit that they are just very confident they'll, they'll win because the, they think this is all a big um, antitrust restriction and they may be right. You know, the thing is, Stu, it just, it, it, it's just context, right? You talked about since the beginning of time, you weren't allowed to do this. Well, now you are. Yeah. And you may have to check. There may be some checks and balances to how you are allowed to pay recruits and pay players. And we are literally in a moment where the SEC and the Big Ten are going to start getting together and, and talk of, talking about how can we start paying these players? Like everybody understands we're moving into a new space. So that's another reason why this seems illogical that the NCAA, and I think the, 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 the part of the filing from the Tennessee AG was something like the NCAA is defending a world that no longer exists. Right. And there is, and there's a ton of truth to that, like, which is another reason why, again, I can understand Tennessee, the university getting up in arms and saying, wait a second, Charlie Baker just said, we should pay these, all these athletes $30,000 a year. Like, what are we doing? And he, and he proposed that the schools be allowed to directly enter into NIL deals. Which, right, to bring NIL yeah. in-house. And so you've got, I think, the things that differentiate Tennessee, by the way, Florida, we didn't mention Florida, is also in the middle of a... And yeah. the investigation or over the Jane Rashada. Rashada. When yeah, in that case, debacle. so you had Alex Atkins involved in the Florida State one. Ten Florida just fired this guy, Marcus Castro Walker, who his title had NIL in it. So that would indicate that, and I, I know from sources that he was part of the investigation. Tennessee's here saying, you guys, and we have to take their word for this, went through thousands of communications. You never found any evidence that anybody that works for Tennessee did anything wrong. So now you're going to try to punish us for what these these guys outside the building. Now we can all roll our eyes and say, come on. You think they, Josh Heupel and whoever didn't know that they were making this big deal with Nico, but they didn't find any evidence of it. So, you know, you got on the, it's like, it gets very confusing, right? Cause the NCA is so many things. It's not just the people in Indianapolis. The, yeah. I feel bad for these enforcement guys, these investigators, right? Their job is to enforce the rules that the schools themselves approved. So there's rules and they're going to Florida or Tennessee and they're interviewing people. But at the same time, the president of the NCA is saying, is acknowledging this is stupid. We shouldn't have this world where third party collectives are negotiating the deals. Here's a proposal to bring it all in house. So I guess if you're the NCA right now, are you going to continue down this road against Tennessee? 
to punish them for something that, first of all, a judge just said is very more likely than not to be ruled uh, an antitrust violation, and that your own president is saying, yeah, we're going to get away from that entirely. Can I stop you, Ralph? So as Stu was talking about continuing down this road, uh, Ralph, you gave us a good segue a minute ago, which bringing up, and this is all connected in in some way, but um, I don't know, middle of last week or late last week, there was the announcement that the SEC and the Big Ten are, I don't want to say partnering up because I feel like that's too strong of a thing, but. And that's uh, basically what they're doing. Yeah. Partnership, yeah. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, even people at the, you know, 30,000 foot level are saying, okay, here we go. This is the AFC and the NFC or however you want to say it, where the major powers of college football. And honestly, I think, you know, it's even weird to not say power five anymore. Right. Because now we're, we're at that point. But where it really feels like we're at the getting closer to the power, two. Right. And and whatever you have with the Big 12 apologies and the ACC, you know, but as we see this now, how significant was them putting out a statement about them working together in light of all this changing stuff going on? Well, I think pretty significant and I think it's good news. These are top down problems. So they I think they need to be solved by the people at the top. I, I take a little issue with the idea that, you know, the Big Ten, and the SEC are here to save the day and pushing the feeble NCAA out of the way. And like you guys had your chance. Now we're here to set things straight. Guys, you've been you you basically could have been running the show for the last 10 years. You got I was there. I covered the NCAA convention where the power five got autonomy, autonomy to make some of their own rules. They've done nothing with it over 10 years. So. It's good news that the the SEC commissioner and the Big Ten commissioner like each other now and that want they want to work together. As I've had a few people in college sports over the last few years, you know, you bring up this like, well, are you concerned that the the big conferences are going to overwhelm the rest of college sports and just leave you behind? And a lot of what you hear from people sort of down the the ladder in um, Division One is. They need to figure out what they want to do and we'll pivot from them. We'll figure like they, they, the power five, and now it's the power two. Everybody's been waiting for them to sort of take charge. Um, so maybe this is a good step towards them actually taking charge. I don't know, Stu, what was your, your take on last week's uh, announcement? Again, it seems like a big deal, but like many things in college sports, the next day, nothing changed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I think it's a response to like, you, you know, Greg Sankey. Everybody's like, oh, they're going to break away. Greg Sankey is a, is an NCA lifer. You know, he's, he's been on, you name the committee, right? He's I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I'm sorry to shut you off, but Greg Sankey is a true believer in college sports, not just college football, but the, the, the holistic college sports. Yeah. So now he's frustrated. Know, you know, yes. he's frustrated with that. You know, from people who don't, re- you know, remember, I wasn't either commissioner of the Southland Conference at one point. Yes. Like from, yes. I don't know if he went to Lemoyne or he's from like way up in upstate New York. Upstate he, New York. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he's pretty much transversed the country and a lot of it around and seen a lot of small college athletics. So he kind of has this one foot in this world of we're the SEC. We can take Oklahoma and Texas. We can get this huge ESPN deal. You know, he's always making veiled threats, right? Like if we don't, you know, right now the college football playoff is like in this limbo where the Kirk Schultz at Washington State doesn't want them to go <laughs> to the. So and he, he'll be like, well, we can just take our ball and walk away like we don't need you guys. But at the same time, he's always saying things about. You know, the, the health of the enterprise. we need to have a national, you know, enterprise where everybody feels included. And so I don't I'm not I don't think that the, the idea here is we got to break away. I think the idea is we got to fix it. And Sankey's strategy and others for the last year was Congress will fix it for us, which I think all three of us and many in the media are like, good luck with that. Right. But they spent a lot of money and took a lot of meetings in D.C. Hey, Congress, we need an antitrust exemption. And it's starting to become clear that's not going to happen. So I think this is their way of saying, all right, well, if they're not going to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And we carry the most weight around here. So we're going to we're going to get started. And I think the impetus directly was. Greg Sankey, and I wasn't in Vegas. Were you in Vegas, Ralph, for the... I was. Did he not say, like, Charlie Baker had just put out that, his grand proposal for um, a new subdivision 
of schools that can pay $30,000. And Sankey did not seem pleased that, like, nobody told me this was coming. Okay, so, you know, I I think, yeah, I think Greg took issue with how deeply involved, like, how, not that nobody told me this was coming, but nobody, my presidents didn't see this. You know, I think he took issue with, you know, his bosses not being sort of involved in the crafting of this, which, you know, again, I would say, where you been? Like, like, like you, there nothing was stopping you from doing what you're trying to do now of getting out ahead of this and being more. Greg Sankey has sat on. Listen, we all like Greg Sankey. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty smart guy and obviously he's done his job very well. Um, and I think we all have a fair amount of respect for him uh, as far as working with him. Right. But, you know, Greg has sat on every major committee that the NCAA has had over the last few years, the transformation committee. He was the co-chair of like so for so I don't and I don't think Greg would necessarily position himself this way. But I think others are of like, well, Greg Sankey will have to save the day here. Like Greg's in position has been in position to to foster some of these changes and nothing has gotten done substantive over the last 10 years. So, again, I just don't want to frame the Big Ten and the SEC as knights in shining armor coming in to save this. I will say this, though. The most the most fascinating piece of this, I hate to use the word alliance, partnership, whatever you want to call it, right, um, between the SEC and they're going to sit down and try to sort through some ideas in like a think tank. And come up with a plan that maybe that plan can go before Congress and then they can say, hey, will you guys support this plan and give us some backing and some protection for this plan, which is essentially what the NCAA is trying to do. My my big question is, how benevolent is the SEC? Will the SEC and the Big Ten be? They are in position to wipe out their competition here. They maybe oh, not. That, maybe they I, don't even have competition anymore. Can I can I push back on the, yes. the terms wipe out? Well, maybe they're that's in, strong. They're in, they're in position to squeeze. I like I because I do feel like, and I hear this from even some coaches I know that they'll look and go, "Oh, these group of five schools, these group of five programs, if this goes in this direction, are going to cease to exist." And I was like, no, I don't think it's going to be that way. I just think there'll be, there may be a handful that can't operate the way they used to. And maybe they'll make some hard decisions, but it's not going to be like, oh, you know, if you, because I, I do feel like there's a lot of people who there's an overreaction component to a scorched earth look of this. And that's why I was like, no, I think it'll still exist. I just think a lot of these other lesser programs will get marginalized even further. But, but, but Bruce, my I guess my point of it is like, how much do you want to marginalize the rest of the sport? And I think that's going to be the question that's facing the Big Ten and the SEC as they already bow up and say, we deserve more revenue from the playoff and we deserve more spots in the playoff. Like, do so, you so want do you want a healthy, broad Big Ten college football? Do you want to have healthy G5 football that is tethered to the power programs in some ways that it looks similar to what we have grown accustomed to? Because a lot of us like that. 
And if you're going to continually marginalize, and now you're going to marginalize the ACC and the Big 12. So are we marching towards Super League and that anything that's not under the SEC Big 10 banner is marginalized? And I don't I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that's my my only fear is I hope they at some point in the grasping at every last nickel think to themselves, maybe if we took just a hair less, we can keep the rest of this healthy. I but I wonder have to- if you get like, I think it's w- what it looks like, meaning are we taking the the big 12 and turning it closer to the Mountain West? Are we turning it closer to the Southland or the or the or even the sun, you know, even maybe further down where it is an FCS level looking looking operation? This is where I think you have to. You know, we sometimes people say, well, they should just, move, you know, college football should be separated out from the others. They should be a, its own thing, because what you guys are talking about is more how is the playoff, the college football playoff going to look like? I'm not. That's not the, what to, I'm talking about. I'm not talking. Really, about. Well, I think. The reason Greg Sankey and I know we haven't brought Tony Petiti up very much, but he's kind of we don't really know his philosophy. He's kind of new to this. Um, like there's football. Where, you know, frankly, like, yet everybody else needs the SEC to be part of a playoff more than the SEC needs them. But there's all these other sports and they're not, you know, they realize like March Madness would die as we know it would die. If right. They, That's what I'm also, if, if I'm not just talking out, about yeah, just football. You I'm, kicked yeah, out think- all the Cinderella's or like Kentucky basketball wasn't in March Madness. They were in some SEC Big Ten creation. Like they need that. You know, there's the SEC is very good at gymnastics. They're very good at they're certainly very good at college baseball, right? Like they need the NCAA membership because like Cal State Fullerton's good at baseball. Coastal Carolina is good at baseball. Like so I think that's what this is about, right? There's all these external forces that that we just talked about off the top employee, uh, possible employment and unionization and NIL uh, that you know, at some point could just like the NCAA could just collapse, like under the pressure of all these lawsuits and settlements. And that would not be good for those two power conferences. They still need that national organization. They don't really need it for football, though. They don't need it for they got their own. They they got football under control. And so that's why I think it would be smart if the if college football, big time college football came out from under the NCAA umbrella. I don't think major, it's already a separate thing, right? Like the NCAA doesn't control the college football playoff. What do you need the NCAA for in college football? But you need it for the other sports. Yeah. What you'll hear from Sankey a lot is this idea of, I don't want to remove, we don't want our sports under different banners, right? We are, we are all one athletic department. So our, our athletic departments are one athletic department. So why should they be operating under si- different systems? And if you compartmentalize football, it it's just now all of a sudden that's a different thing from the rest of our athletic department. You know, again, we, we can we can go pretty deep into the weeds here. And I think listeners eyes are going to are going to roll a uh, glaze over. But I think that's my my broader point of how much does the SEC and the Big Ten are they considering the health of the entire 
ecosystem of college sports, college football in particular, but college sports in general. I do think that they and and again, you know, if you look at history here, those 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 uh, conferences just collapsed another conference. Now, you can right. say the SEC didn't do anything to the Pac-12, but the SEC started all this right. when it took. And again, we can do the finger blaming. Well, if we didn't take them, somebody else was going to because it's great because if everybody's if everybody's to blame, then nobody's to blame. Right. So everybody gets to throw up their hands, say not my fault um, because it's technically it's everybody's fault. But, you know, I've had people tell me they didn't have to take them. They, they, they did not have to take Texas and Oklahoma. They could have we could have gone forward with healthy Big 12 and healthy ACC and healthy Pac-12. Uh, there's a world where that could exist. And I'm wondering, here's where I think it might be able to exist. If the SEC and the Big Ten get too big, then they become the targets for the antitrust lawsuits. Mm. And I do wonder if. By keeping the other conferences healthy and creating a, a, a space where there are thriving other conferences that are technically your competition, if that keeps the antitrust lawsuits off your back and now all of a sudden you're not the focus of whatever targets that have been Whatever the, the attacks that have been on the NCAA, you're not just, you know, waving your hands and saying, no, come this way. If you keep all the other conferences healthy, that's a big part of this, too. When you talk about conference realignment gets people interested. We talked about that before the show, Stu. I think that I wonder if part of what the SEC and, and the Big Ten have to do is stop plundering the other conferences. I've heard that theorized by lawyers and people in college sports like. Hey, at some point, you know, Big Ten SEC become like Delta and United. And, you know, the government doesn't like when you just keep buying up one airline after another. And at some point, like you're, you know, depressing competition. You're 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 a monopoly. Right. You could say, hey, you guys, if, if you guys both go to 24 and take Clemson and Florida State and pretty much any other, you know, viable, you are a monopoly over major mm -hmm. college football. So but that's a whole other we could. Now we're in danger of a two-hour podcast if we go too far right, down the right. road. But I do want to, I do want to, you know, I don't know if it's quickly, but address that Dartmouth case. Um, that, you know, it's a very narrow ruling. A regional NLR, NLRB officer granted the Dartmouth basketball team for the the right to hold a un, hold a vote and unionize, right? And the school surely appealed that to the national NLRB board. Um, and I'm sure part of the argument, because we went through this with Northwestern, will be you can't have the private schools playing by one set of rules in the public schools because the NLRB has no control over the, the public schools. Yeah. Um, where is this inevitable? Are, are college athletes going to be employees? Because certainly, and I think Bruce, we've talked about this, you agree, like that to me, when people say like, NIL is going to ruin college, the transfer portal, no, 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 no. But employee, uh, them having to pay all their athletes a salary, like now you're getting into, is that the end of, you know, half the non-revenue sports teams in the country? Is that the end of MAC football? Because those schools are already running $20, 30000000 million deficits without having to pay the athletes. Well, so I think the main quote that was floating around that uh, one of my sources gave me uh, for my story, it was similar in some other, you know, we all we all talk to the same lawyers, right, in this space to a certain degree was if Dartmouth, if Dartmouth men's basketball players are employees of their school, 
then who is it, right? That's a non-scholarship athlete at an at a private Ivy League institution. If it if if that is if that is covered by an employee relationship, an employer employee relationship, then you what part of college sports was it wouldn't be an employer employee relationship it has to do with you know compensation in the forms of maybe some because they don't get scholarships but they do get some other things and also just the idea of how much work is goes into it and how much your team is dictating how much you have to work yeah i i, I found it, it it was interesting from that perspective because i think we often talk about well when you talk about separating football and, and maybe basketball, because those are the ones that make a ton of money, we often think about it as like, well, if if you just had a different football system, those, they can be employees. They should get a whole bunch of money because they're generating all that money. And what that de decision said is just because your team doesn't generate money doesn't mean you're not, those athletes aren't employees. And again, I, it kicks me back and start wondering like, well, just because they're employees doesn't mean you have to pay them a lot. Like, so is there a way to, hey, in this conference, you get $10 an hour, but in this conference, you can make 150 grand a year. And again, like that gives athletes choices. But that's also to... hard for the NCAA model because for so long, I mean, I go back to, you know, my meat market days where the NCAA was cracking down on like the stationary that schools were using to send out because it had to be the same. And now yeah, but sudden, that's gone now, but like that's... I'm saying, but this is the, this is the mindset of, of some kind of um, competitive balance. Well, it's like, true. The NCAA's mission in some ways for all its history was to try to have a level playing field. Right. And, and what and, you and... just said, Ralph, I don't disagree. I'm not saying, I'm just mm -hmm. saying, well, this is what the NCAA, what, you know, we just talked about why the NCA, why a lot of folks around it still feel like it's needed. But when the NCA's whole um, ethos is that, and and we're just talking now about, well, you're going to pay, let's say it's $18 an hour in one league and $80 an hour in another, like not to go off on a tangent here, but like we taping Wednesday and yesterday, I know there was a lot of people on my timeline talking about uh, this is Carson Beck driving a Lamborghini. And it was like, you know what? I don't, I, it, I don't have a problem at this point with what, you know, what car or what, you know, college football players or college athletes are getting, you know, if, if the best women's basketball player at LSU is going to drive a Lamborghini or the best woman, you know, or Caitlin Clark's going to, I don't care because they're bringing a ton of eyeballs to the sport and to those to those universities and to college athletics and there's a lot of other good things that come from it you know and so like i, I think again I, i'm not i don't know if i'm arguing against myself by saying this but i think the ncaa's ethos as it's set up it's really i mean they have to get a they have to at least try to figure out how to balance that out without trying to really hold to it because that's ultimately, I feel like, going to be where it shoots itself in the foot the most. Well, the courts have pretty much already decided this for them. Like, the NCAA has tried the, you know, you know, in, in O'Bannon, in Alston, like, they have 
that has been one of their one of their arguments for preserving amateurism. We, if you start opening the door to players being paid, it's going to have a negative effect on competitive balance. And the courts have basically said, "Nah, we don't buy that. You don't have competitive balance as it is." Well, also because you can't have a system that is uh, worries about competitive balance if it's non-professional. Right. The professional leagues have all kinds of things that create competitive like balance because you have unions and employees and salaries and 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 a, and a collective bargaining. Yeah. In our little bubble. Right. Like Nick Saban was always trotting out, you know, when he would kind of have his like pulpit and warn about, I don't think you guys want to do this. He would talk about competitive balance. The courts don't care whether, you know. Uh, Minnesota is at a disadvantage to Ohio State in recruiting because of the money. They care about are the athletes being denied an opportunity to make their their most like the market in college, in our little bubble of coaches. The market is on the field and recruiting. In the antitrust courts, the market is the competition for dollars for recruits and anything that you're doing to suppress that, like. If you're saying, Bruce, like I get like you're, you know, the what, what Ralph suggested, right? Like, hey, if you're, you know, McNeese State, you may only be able to offer minimum wage. But if you're Ohio State, you may be able to offer $108,000 a year. And that absolutely goes against competitive balance. But the courts are saying, well, if they can afford it, the athletes deserve it, right? The That's athletes deserve on. to make what they're that worth. Is what is going on now. I know specific example from a coach I've talked to recently talking about losing a player who said, yeah, I'd rather go here, but they're offering me low six figures. What can you do? And yeah. the coach is basically like, I can say, if they're really offering you that, good luck. You need to take it. Because and it's very frustrating for the coaches, but at the end of the day, like, we're in a climate now where there's just not as much. I mean, the Supreme Court decision and Brett Kavanaugh's opinion being all, they just have no sympathy anymore for this historic argument that that what that's a scenario you just described, Bruce. Like we that the NCAA needs to prevent that. They're saying, hey, that's if this five-star receiver can get uh hundred thousand dollars a year, you can't do anything that would deprive him of that ability. But if you create a system that has more professional levers, uh professional style levers, again, like employee status, like collective bargaining. Maybe some antitrust protections because all the professional leagues have antitrust protections. And then you create real competitive balance because the fact of the matter is competitive balance has always been a mirage in, in college sports. We all know that, you know, before now the money is going direct. You, you, you know, you say, Bruce, that coach was like, well, that kid can get, you know, six figures and I can't match that. Well, before that kid was probably going to a different school, maybe because it had a better facility or it had five analysts and, or, you know, the money was I going. Don't, I don't I don't agree with that point. Not as I don't think it's as cut and dry now because the money money is like and this is my point. It's not like. But okay. money is different. Money is a bottom line thing to kids and families as opposed to, oh, they have better facilities or whatever. Because at the end of the day, it was like, yeah, you can say they all can tout that they can get you to the NFL. They all can have this or that. But when it's the money part, that is a way more tangible thing, especially for 17-year-olds than, you know, oh, we have, we have 18 analysts or whatever. But my point, Bruce, is that was unfair. 
like the, not having the money go to the kids and having it being thrown at these coaches because we, God, if Josh Heupel's not worth 9 million a year after one good season, like just look at what they're paying these coaches and look at what they're paying for like facilities. Like the money was being poured into the system to try to be used as a recruiting tool. All that, all the, the, the courts are basically saying is like, yeah, like that money should go to the kids. Yes. Yeah. I remember a few like, years ago before like what, what NIL. What are we doing here? This would have been before NIL. It might have been when Joe Burrow was at LSU. You know, LSU unveiled these like the state of the art locker room with nap yeah. pods and uh, LED TV at everybody's. You know, they were very proud of this and they rolled out on social media. And I think I tweeted or said at the time, like, in what world is this normal? Like <laughs> that that we are that they are in this race to see who can spend the most money and build the nicest locker rooms. But if you dare suggest that maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing for Joe Burrow to get a $25,000 a year check. Oh, no, no, no. We can't do that. We can't do that. And so I think we're in the process of transitioning from the old era of facil lavish facilities are fine. Using NIL to recruit somebody is not to a new era where it's reverse. Yeah. I mean, you, Bruce, you know more about the NFL and been around more NFL than I have. I mean, the college facilities and things along those lines are probably in many ways better than a lot of the pro places, the there pro are, facilities. Yeah. yeah. I and, remember and now, going and, to, you know, like you and I, Ralph, are from relatively the same area. And I did a an NFL game with my crew and it was a Bills game. And it was, and Stu knows this story a little bit. It was Josh Allen's rookie year. And we went to the facility. And as I'm driving over or riding over, I was like, Wait, this is the stadium I grew up watching when when the Jets had Mark Gastineau and they were playing the Bills. It was just not it's not called Rich Stadium anymore, but it was like I don't want to say it was like a high school stadium, but it wasn't like SoFi and it wasn't like Allegiant and some of these other stadiums. Well, they're getting and, a new one now, but but yes, yeah, I, I'm I, just saying what my point. point is. Yeah. I mean, their yeah. facilities didn't look like sorry to say this, Todd Berry, but it didn't look like when I visited you know ULM, but yeah. it was definitely not like um what i would and, call and that's because they have to spend a really big chunk of their revenue on salaries and so oh, players when the yeah. players become employees like lsu ohio state it, they'll be able to afford it maybe it means that the weight room gets updated every five years instead of every two years they'll be able to afford it but a lot of schools will not and you know i think I, but I don't know that I don't know the answer for that. Like, well, and that's know. the reason why I do hope they get the government. You know, we this is and maybe we're close to wrapping up here, Stu. But like, uh, so I don't want to necessarily open up another avenue. But we talked a little bit about this, this idea that maybe when things get so bad, that is what prompts some kind of congressional help. Maybe when it looks like a train wreck. And now we're getting close to the point where, oh, man, like this may become a train wreck. And now it affects the schools in my state because yep. now I have my athletic directors and my Congress, my you know reps coming to me and saying like, man, like my school or maybe it's your own alma mater is coming to you and saying we have to you know close our track team and this and that. Maybe at that point you get some congressional interaction or uh, action that results in something that looks like an antitrust protection or an antitrust uh, exemption. And that allows 
a, a space where they're employees, but they're not quite employed. They get paid, but they're not employees. There's not really a union, but there's something that looks like bargaining. Like they, maybe there's a place where they can sort of split the baby here and come up with a system that is a little bit, quite frankly, outside the law, because that's what an antitrust exemption is for. I think you're 100 percent correct. I think they've had trouble getting any traction with Congress because right now it's all theoretical. Hey, we need your help because this this might happen in five years. Right. I mean, I had an AD bring this up to me very recently, but think about HBCUs. I mean, HBCUs have no money. Right. But they provide such a meaningful experience for a lot of kids who wouldn't otherwise be able to go to college. Well, the day that you have to pay an FCS player minimum wage, we're talking hundreds of athletes, is the day that a lot of those HBCUs will just get out of athletics. And to your point, right, if I'm if Grambling, you know, with one of the you know, most prestigious historic programs can no longer afford to have a football team, the congressman that is in that part of Louisiana is going to say, oh, we got to do something. Right. So that that might be the time when when you get some help right but i don't think it's happening tomorrow yeah and then and again when we talk about the significance of the dartmouth ruling i think that's maybe the significance is that it's going to it's going to put all these smaller schools on notice and go oh no it's not just about ohio state the big 10 sec the really big schools if they're going to come after us and make us pay our athletes or create a different dynamic in our athletic department where we have to, you know, put some money towards these athletes, that becomes a very different problem for the entire industry, the entire enterprise, not just the very top. I was going to ask this, but I feel like it's, it probably takes us down to a t too far of another road, but even like the aspect of how title nine fits in that too. Oof. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. even know where to start on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, it's, it's I really don't. Complicated. I mean, it's already really complicated. I shouldn't say it like that. It's already really complicated. And I think, you know, Stu and I have had this separate conversation, Ralph, about like a, an athletic director job in specific, one of them. And I just remember thinking, this is such a thankless job. I'm not saying some of them get paid, obviously, exceptionally well. But the mm -hmm. headaches now that would be involved in that job in particular and obviously, the bigger the program, the more deputies and people you have that can be put on to certain projects. But I just think, to me, it would be such a headache, which is coming down the pipe already. Yeah. I mean, I like you know, a lot of those guys haven't slept in three years, four years, ever since COVID and having to deal with like how they were going to yeah. play. And I'm not sure those guys have slept in four years. Yeah, that's what the money's for, as they say. But it, it's, uh, I mean, just like we got into the conversation with one of your colleagues, Max Olson, on my podcast this week, where, you know, we talked about the coaches fleeing to the, to, to the NFL. And I think that's a little overrated. But I do think that this business is so kind of screwed up right now that I, I don't know how many people are like willfully signing up for it if they have another good choice. But the other part of that, having another good choice is, Again, it pays really well. So where else are you going to find that six-figure salary to be an administrator for a college, right? Also, also to that point, and I always said this, like, you know, we get to the end of the season and, you know, especially for me, I'm traveling every week and you're kind of, kind of exhausted just from that, that bit. I don't want to call it a grind, but then there's people who don't work in sports who maybe don't love what they do, but it's the job they work and it it helps take care of their family. And it's like, you know what? There's going to be, you know, a lot of jobs have 
have a lot of headaches and a lot of, you know, whatever. So I don't think anyone who's just, who's a fan looking in is going to go feel so much sympathy for them. Without question. Absolutely not. All right. Wow. Then we, we went, this was such a fun, um, thought provoking conversation that we went 50 minutes and it, it doesn't feel like that, but you know, it probably does to the listener. So we should probably, <laughs> probably wrap. We went a long way without without uh, Ralph and I ganging up on you about something, didn't we? No, I'm, I'm glad it was this subject <laughs> and not the top 25 coaches rankings, right? Um, I think we're, we're, it's not quite as heated. Um, Ralph, we'll save the, that for some other time. Tell the good folks about the AP Top 25 podcast. Yeah, AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, wherever you get your pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine yards. You can find that every week, uh, you know, my stuff. Listen, the AP is everywhere and nowhere, right? But there is something called APnews.com, uh, uh, which, um, you know, you can find my stuff there. So, yeah. And, of course, you know, Ralph D. Russo, AP on Twitter or Z or X, I guess now it's X. So and- I'm easy to find. And also, just to clarify, if you are upset about where your team is ranked in the AP Top 25, Ralph D. Ralph, <laughs> Ralph D. No, Ralph does not vote in the AP poll. He did not. He is not the reason your team is ranked where it is. All right. Um, we have run out of time for emails. Um, we will get to them next week. Please send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.